0: This is your time to shine. Ha. All right, let's yeah. do it.
1: You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 74 of the Comic Book Informer. We actually have a special Tuesday recording this week because, as usual, I'm Vince along with Roger. But we actually have a special guest joining us this week, Jim Zubkovich, the writer for the Fantastic Image Comics Skull Kickers. Welcome to the show, Jim.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. No, it's good to have you here.
2: Yeah, it's always great to talk to people who make stuff that we really like. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so just just a little bit of backstory.
2: Um what got you into comics, uh, both as a fan and as a creator?
1: Oh man! I mean, as a fan, I've been uh, I've gone through waves and waves of comic book fandom over the years. I'm a I'm an old school superhero comic fan from when I was a kid. Uh, big, big, big Marvel zombie when I was younger. Uh, moving up through kind of independent black and white books into sort of uh, the pre manga manga boom so I was into I, it sounds right really corny the whole I was into manga before it was cool <laughs> but yeah I was into <laughs> manga back before there were really anyone was doing translated books over here in North America with any regularity and then um, you know uh, and then eventually moving over and, and getting into the web comic scene I've tromped through every nerdy comic field or, or sort of area uh, at one time or another so. I really yeah.
2: noticed that manga influence and stuff like your uh your webcomic makeshift miracle and some of your work with Udon. So I, I can definitely see those oh, influences yeah, totally. in
1: there. Yeah, it's all over the place. I've got it's sort of different eras of my fandom, you know, uh growing up. I'm uh I'm pretty double down nerd on just about anything you guys want to cover, so <laughs> Weird off, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, really, really old school Marvel fan, and uh, and then eventually I got into um, professionally. I, I went to school for animation and got into uh, you know working on Saturday morning cartoons and working at an animation studio for a while, and then slowly but surely, uh, well, not surely at all, slowly, but uh, unexpectedly, uh, made my way over to start working for the Udon Studio and have slowly moved that now into both doing work with them, but also now finally doing my own comic stuff. Uh, probably most notably, you know, skull kickers over at, uh, image who is on one hell of a role lately. Oh, and
0: Jesus, no kidding. It,
1: it's <laughs> insane. I feel, yeah, really, really, uh, you know, just thrilled to be uh, a part of the the big wave of, of books they got going on right now.
0: It's not like Image, you know, hasn't been around for a while. They, they've been around for a while. They've had these, 20 these years fantastic comics that they've put out. But when you're looking at now, there's this amazing wave that writing it must be one hell of a blast. Because it's just, it's they're putting out a ton of fantastic stuff right now.
1: I think they've just, uh, the needles really moved conversationally in that direction. I think they've done a, a really good job. I think, you know, they, they've benefited obviously from uh, a wave of great titles and just, but also the discussion online, I think, has also turned in their direction in terms of independent creation and the next generation of creators and new ideas or refreshing old ideas. It's just, it's all kind of come together at a really uh, great point, and then the fact that it corresponds with their 20th anniversary is just kind of the icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. Okay, so, what are some of the comics that you like to read right now? I mean, obviously there's going to be some image in there, but like, just sure. in general, what are you enjoying right now?
1: Uh, my favorite comics, honestly, I, I without any reservation I can tell you the majority of the books I read right now are creator-owned books and that I'm really digging on on different genres so I absolutely love Lock and Key being put out by IDW it's a phenomenal series it's incredibly tightly written the artwork's gorgeous Uh, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez are killing that book I love it love it love it Um, I love Atomic Robo by Brian Clevinger and Scott Wegner. I think that they're doing a phenomenal job, and it's one of the easiest books to pick up and jump into. It's got great characters. It's fun. You finish every issue with a smile on your face, and uh, they're doing it right. Um, I love The Sixth Gun coming out from Oni Press. So you got, you know, Brian Hurt and Cullen Bunn are just doing amazing work. Uh, Those are just like three titles that come to mind that are non-image that are jumping out at me as being really, really solid and really amazingly well done.
0: Are you feeling that that you're enjoying them more also because they are creator-owned? And as a whole, what we're seeing with creator-owned stuff is people are taking a little bit more of a chance than the tried and true that we've seen from the big two kind of thing.
1: Well, I think you have to. I think in order to stand out in this market, you've got to you know, put a little bit more of your you – know, put, put your neck out on the chopping block a bit and take some risks and try some things. And with a creator-owned book where profitability is, is really in question, all you have is the strength of the work to go off of. You know? uh, so you gotta, you got to put your all into it. And I think it really shows when you look at top-tier creator-owned books – They've got heart behind them. They've got re- you know, heart and soul that these guys put themselves into it because that's their first priority is making a great book more than any kind of commercial endeavor. It's a creative endeavor, and it's an exciting you know, time for them to put their own ideas into play.
2: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. As a fan, this is probably my favorite time of the year because it's con season. You get to hear all oh, these yeah. cool <laughs> announcements, all this fun stuff going on. So from your point of view, how has the experience changed now that you know, Skull Kickers is growing, your professional comics careers is increasing in popularity? Are you going to more shows? Has the fan reaction been any different?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been um, an amazing shift just over the last year. So in 2009, 2010, I mean, I've been going to shows with the Udon studio for quite some time, and my role at the studio is as a project manager, so I was putting together art teams mostly for non-comic projects. So Udon is split into two halves. There's publishing, where we do art books and manga and comics, and then there's uh, creative services, where the studio artists do artwork for a movie, concept art, or video game design or advertising stuff. A lot of projects that people don't even know about that we've worked on because, you know, our our logo isn't necessarily slapped on the front of it. And so I was going to shows to meet with companies or to help run the booth or to, you know, make sure our artists were where they were supposed to be. And that was a very, you know, I I love that job and I still enjoy doing it. But, you know, my my love, was I wanted to get into – you know the creative aspect of it and being able to shift over in late two thousand ten launch skull kickers and that's my first really big push in terms of my own work my own writing my own creations uh, you know, working with other people, collaborating, and, and putting out my own creator own stuff. And in one year, the difference has been phenomenal. So it went from, oh, Jim's the guy you talk to at Udon you know, <laughs> if you want to look for a job, or Jim's the guy if you want to find out where the artists are, or you know, stuff like that. And now people are coming up and they want to talk about my work, or people know me first for Skull Kickers, and then they go, oh, haven't you done stuff with the Udon studio? Like That's almost... The secondary conversation, and that kind of blows my mind. That's it's only been one year. Uh, I've already done a couple shows this year, so I, I've actually been on the road for three weeks. I was at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. I was at Image Expo a few weeks before that in in um, Oakland. Um, I was at um, PAX East in uh, Boston and then I was just at a small show at Penn State called Wildcat Comic Con and at all all the new shows this year in particular there's been a real wave of like Skull Kickers first like people coming over they know the book or they're reading it online or they're into it and they want to talk about that first and foremost and that there's no better feeling I got to tell you you know as much as it's cool to work on commercial stuff when someone tells you they love what you do and it's all yours that's That's the greatest.
0: Well, the thing with Skull Kickers, too, is that... As a whole, from what we've seen so far, it hits you like a freaking freight train right from the get go. Like, there's <laughs> no easing you into this. IP. No, this just, is really
1: yeah. <laughs> the first five pages of the first issue, we let you know what it's all going to be about. Yeah, we just open up with big action right from the get go.
0: And you know what? There's too many series that don't get that, that don't understand that you have such a limited time frame in which to hook your audience. Oh, and I mean, and so... you don't even. Even
1: have the benefit of like this isn't a brand like Batman or Spider Man, exactly or X-Men where someone's going to hang on because they like those characters. I, if, if we didn't hook you, you have no attachment to this book. I've got to grab you by the lapels, like right from page one, you know,
0: and that is what it does. Now, just we, we said a pre show, say it once again so that everybody can hear it we love skull kickers like seriously i I ripped through all the issues so far twice now awesome. and I absolutely adore it it's just an absolutely fantastic series I know Vince you agree with me too.
2: yeah it, and it's something I'd heard about for you know a year plus now people online talking about it like I gotta check that out eventually gotta check that out eventually so when I had that vacation a couple weeks ago I was like okay it's Skull Kickers time. And in halfway through the first issue, I'm like, we're talking about this when I come back. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome. I mean, that, that's the best feeling, you know, to know that people are getting on board. The good thing is, you know, Image has been really supportive about making sure the trade's available. They uh, they did a value pricing on the first trade. So if you bought it in softcover, it's like 10 bucks to get, you know, the first volume. Or if you pick it up in our new, we've got the Treasure Trove, which is uh, – Volume one and two in a hardback with extra material. so it's, it's easily available in you know, a variety of formats, and, and it's getting out there. I think as a trade, it's really where it's making its biggest impact now, and that's, you know, just the best.
0: Would you happen to have any of those hardcovers available? yourself?
1: <laughs> oh, oh, I do. And <laughs> yeah, I'm all geared up for the summer con season myself, right? So I've got such a crazy schedule over the next couple months. It's going to be How much be are long. those
0: uh, selling for?
1: They're uh, they're thirty four ninety nine. I, I think on Amazon they've got it for like thirty or thirty five percent off though. So. Okay,
0: I'm going to get you to send me um, any links that you have so that if anybody wants to buy it, we'll put sure. it in the show notes. Try to. Pimp your stuff as much as possible. That would be awesome. Uh, we, so,
1: you know, we really, really appreciate it. Or if people see me at a convention, you know, uh, yeah, come right up and and grab one. I'll be happy to personalize it. Well, I'm all, I'm doing quite the show circuit this summer, so.
0: I'm thinking I would not mind one for myself, signed.
1: No problem. So if you I mean, what shows are you looking at attending this summer?
0: What's no, no, no? I'm talking. You can mail one to me. We're both oh, in Canada, sure, yeah. so oh, yeah. it'll be here in <laughs> literally a day or so. Yeah, we double team. Canuck power. <laughs> against the freaking vince
1: now no one's gonna read it all, no. <laughs> are you
0: kidding even americans love us because they want to secretly be like us but yes i'm going to talk to you afterwards and i'm going to get you to send me a signed copy and i'll paypal you or however you want your sure, payment man, no that'd problem. be awesome right. okay getting right. back to the actual comic now though
1: <laughs> Making deals all right
0: hey i'm all for that i i love supporting people who are following their passions and right. it doesn't have to be the big two. I don't care where it's being published. If it's good, I'll read it. I'll support you. I think it's awesome.
1: And if you're Canadian, you're
0: definitely getting my money.
1: (laughs) I mean, the great thing about creator-owned books in particular is that, you know, you're talking about individuals or very small teams of people who are dedicated to the craft, you know, who want to do this first and foremost because they want to tell a story or they want to put a book out that they, you know, that they believe in. And that, that, you can see it. You can see it when you look at the the new titles coming from Image, you know, and you see the the passion on display there. It, it's inspiring. I mean, I went to Image Expo and celebrating 20th anniversary of Image, and there was just this awesome electricity in the air. The founders of Image, and you know, people who've moved up through the industry thanks to their independent work, and then you know, a whole a whole host of us that are all kind of in the same boat that where we've just launched our book in the last year or so, trying to you know get our get our toe hold and and uh, make this really go someplace. Yeah.
0: Well, again, like you're saying too, about taking chances with the creator on stuff. Like we are seeing things that are so far removed from the norm right now. And I think we're at a point right now where we're in, we're in that lull where people have, I don't want to say have had enough with the men and women in tights, but are so ready for something different, especially considering what we consider to be the flop with DC's new 52. And, I think that a lot of people are like, okay, let's just see something completely different, completely freaking awesome. And that's what we're getting.
1: Well, I think what's amazing about it is, you know, here's the thing. You know, Marvel and DC put out books that have a, you know, a really strong audience for what they do. And I'm a superhero fan and I love these characters as well. But from a corporate point of view, you do understand that that it's not in their best interest generally to take huge risks, let alone take risks on different genres, let alone take risks on things that have no proven – uh, structure. I mean, they're they're corporations, and they have to make decisions based on their their bottom line. And I totally get that. But the reality is, is that you know, new ideas are coming from people who don't have to follow those those channels. And that's the great thing about it. And and understandably, Marvel and DC then you know and eventually look to some of those people as creative assets. You look at someone like whether it's you know Matt Fraction or Cullen Bunn or all those guys, they're coming from indie stuff first. I mean, it it. it it makes sense to to see people who are passionate about this stuff and then to work with them later on.
0: Yeah. Okay, getting back to Skull Kickers. When sure. I was reading, sure? I told you we'd eventually get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was reading the first one, it was funny because uh, a lot of times, like when I'm reading a, a comic book or, or reading anything, I – I will allow myself to get sucked in. If it's well-written, I'll let myself get sucked in. And then it's during that, you know, the second read and and sometimes further on where then the writer in me starts picking up little things kind of thing throughout the story and whatnot. What's funny, though, is that with Skull Kickers, the first one, that was kicking in, but it was also because I could tell reading it immediately that there was a gaming background there somewhere, whether it oh, was yeah. <laughs> consoles or old school d tabletop stuff, I could see it in the writing and it was fantastic because we don't get enough of that, in my opinion, that's well done. So then Well, I think
1: I think a lot of times you'll see gaming, but the gaming itself becomes really surface, like they have characters rolling dice or they're specifically talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And that's fine, but I think that it that it's a little bit too inside baseball. I wanted it to feel like gaming without it necessarily being like well if you don't play D, you won't get this do you know what i mean oh that, exactly, that was the yeah. big difference
0: well it, it, that's the thing too it wasn't that it was referenced in any way shape or form until you spoke about it later on in your afterthoughts right. kind of thing but it's just that it was there it was present and anybody who had that background kind of smiles a little while they're reading it saying i know what this is i know what he's doing here kind of thing and It really, really worked well. What's more too, it, 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 again, it, it made me, it's one of those things where I look back at my experiences and then I know for a fact that that creativity has helped me in my writing. And I'm guessing that you feel the same way too.
1: Uh, gaming you know tabletop gaming in particular was a huge storytelling impetus for me growing up like it was a it was a creative outlet and it was a way to discover identity and sort of get out ideas in a in a place and in a way that you felt completely safe because you, you know you can try out story stuff you can play characters you can be creative and brainstorm things and the only you know Punishment that can be meted out as your character dies or whatever else, or the dice don't go your way, but it's a really fun space to be creative and to brainstorm and to let ideas come out. And you, I would, I would uh, play with people who you know were incredibly quiet or incredibly insular, and then at the table they would come alive with all sorts of personality or with wit and and verve in their in their mannerisms that I'd never seen in day-to-day conversation because it was a safe place to do that because it was a cool space. To just sort of let yourself run with it. And, and it inspired me a lot as a, as a storyteller. And I think that it informs a lot of the things I do, even projects that I've done that have nothing to do with gaming. I think it does boil back to that, almost like getting permission to just be able to tell stories.
0: And well, the thing too with those is it creates that environment where, like you were saying too, people who are normally not outgoing, it's an unwritten rule where, okay, it, it, what stays at the table, what happens at the table stays at the table. People yeah. are much more, um, they allow themselves to be who they might want to be kind of thing. It, it opens yeah. up so many channels.
1: I it, think it's a really, just a really cool place uh, you know, you can get together with your friends and you can watch a movie and you can all stare at the same screen at the same time, but to get together with your friends and to sort of say, we're going to collaborate on this story and we don't know where it's going to go and let's have a great time and be social, but be social with this different sort of structure or goal. I think it's fascinating and amazing. And uh, you, you know, you have
0: yeah. to, everybody has to give that part of themselves, otherwise, the the you see the man behind the curtain so it's better if everybody does allow themselves so it's actually encouraged to be that goofy personality or whatever
1: well this is what's so neat about it is I think you know <clears throat> if for every gaming group there's different sort of thresholds some people are treating it like a strategy board game and they're they're knocking dice and they're having a good time and that's a totally valid way to play and other people are playing it like this is going to be high art and theater and drama and pathos or whatever and that's a cool way to play too the, the what's neat about it is it's not like playing poker where there's rules and you play one way and that's it the flexibility of, of tabletop is that you can sort of go with whatever the group wants to kind of do and it can and it can throttle, you know, the intensity or the silliness or the whatever in, in the way that the group hopefully will, you know, enjoy most.
0: Yeah. Is this something that you're actually still into at all?
1: uh I, it's funny i barely have any time my schedule is so insane right now so i have friends who keep bothering me about not in a bad <laughs> way poking me like we got to play we got to do stuff we generally get people together and we'll play board games i've heard that from a lot of my gamer friends that getting a regular campaign together is incredibly hard with everyone's responsibilities and their family lives and what they've got to do so we'll get a group together and we'll play some uh board games or we'll play cards or what you know but some of those more nerdy kind of complex card games not just like we're going to play bridge or something not that bridge isn't complex but um you know just more stuff like that where we get a group together and you know we've talked about doing stuff like going up to my parents cottage for a week and just sort of hardcore nerding out and and playing a a big rpg campaign but right now my work schedule is so psycho And keeping all these plates spinning with the stuff I've got on the go, it's, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a thing to manage right now. It's just this this crazy, crazy mass of stuff on the go. So, you know, uh, I went to Gen Con last year. It was actually my best convention. And um, that really... The bug bit me really hard. Like I really want to play again, but I just don't have time lately. So I'm uh, I'm already signed on to exhibit at Gen Con again this year, and I think I'm gonna probably fall down the rabbit hole pretty hard.
2: <laughs> so, and you kind of carry through that that gaming experience because I've seen you describe Skull Kickers as low fantasy, and it's, it's I, high kind
1: it's of low brow, high fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I I just love that because you're seeing these fantasy worlds from. A perspective we don't usually see it from is that something you really wanted to drive forward
1: yeah i mean this is the weird part is i, I love sword and sorcery and i love fantasy as a genre and yet Skullkickers is all about taking the piss out of it which is kind of weird because it, I, it's not like i i want to dismantle it because of, i don't like it i just i love the idea of the reader we've seen all this stuff before we've seen the the particularly and this is really cuts to the core of what skull kickers is evolving into and what the main concept is, the biggest fantasy trope of all is the heroes of destiny, right? The prophecy and the chosen ones and the big mystical items that they need to go on their quest and to, you know, defeat evil. And that's like every classic fantasy story. And so at every turn, I want to both tell that story and completely deflate and dismantle that story. So we're going in the direction you might expect, but then we're taking you off-kilter every single time. So every time what should happen, we do it in an alternate way. And we might end up on a similar path, but you never know like what we're going to just bulldoze through and what th- things are going to get kind of taken apart instead of following the logical process. It does have its own internal logic, but it is not the classic fantasy. It is this lowbrow, pulpy, nasty, sarcastic kind of approach but done with this loving smirk. So it doesn't feel like, sometimes you'll see parody and it's parody in a spiteful way. Like they just, they hate something and they want to tear it apart and they just want to disintegrate it because they're, they're, they're loathing of whatever the genre is or whatever the subject is. And this is like a loving poke in the eye. Like your best friend can make fun of you and you still know that they care about you. It's that kind of mockery. Like I love fantasy that much, but I love it enough that I can give it a big crazy elbow in the ribs and it'll survive you know
0: but even i don't even think it's that far off it's not that far into parody that it's that it is insulting to the genre at all it's just you you are telling this story still within that job but using a different way than is the norm and i think that's part of what the success
1: is yeah, it's irreverent. Like, one of the things I didn't want to do is I didn't want to do parody for parody's sake. So this isn't like a Mad Magazine thing where we're going to have, you know, like uh, Bonan the Carbarian, or like, you know, like I didn't just want to have absolute, you know, um, parallels to to real stories and just mix and match pieces i wanted to come up with its own mythology and its own storyline that if you look at is trying to tell every big crazy fantasy story but in its own way with its own internal logic and i think that's in some ways what makes it work rather than just being a flat-out parody where you're just taking one thing and saying that's dumb you know what i mean no
0: definitely the, the
2: way I like to look at it is Skull Kickers is essentially the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of de- are dead of the Lord of the Rings universe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. It's got that. Exactly. You know, uh, when you watch Army of Darkness, you know, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell love horror movies and they love zombie movies and they love fantasy stuff. They're doing it in this ridiculous pastiche and over the top kind of way. But it's because at the heart of this thing, they just want to drive it to this new crazy place, not because it's spiteful, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And I, I just have to ask, how did you actually come up
1: with the name Skull Kickers? Uh, that's just, it's not a very dramatic reason. Uh, the, original, the, the original short stories that uh, Chris Stevens and I did for Pop Gun had a much uh, lamer title. They were called Two Copper Pieces, as in sort of these guys would kill you for a couple pennies. And or the fact that in a world full of gold, they were copper, they were garbage, they were low lives, um, and it was an okay title, but it what didn't really ring true. Like it didn't have the spark of something that really rolled off the tongue and sounded cool. And so, when we were putting this together as an actual full, originally a mini series for Image, I just literally started pounding out different combinations of words. I just had lists and columns <laughs> and started trying to connect them together. And we had some pretty terrible ones for a while in the, in the development stage, it was called corpse kickers, which doesn't quite ring. It's close, but it's not quite as, as sharp and sounds a little more squishy and kind of, <laughs> awful. Like, but, uh, but, it, but it, but it was close, you know, and then, and then I don't remember exactly how we got, uh, how it finally made the leap, but it, it just was one of the ones that, that rang out. And I said it a couple of times and thought it, it had a sharp kind of an approach. And it does. It just sort of rolls out. People look at it. You know, when I'm at a convention, I've got the banner behind me at the table. I'll hear people walk by and they'll say it aloud. Oh, skull kickers. Oh. And they'll come walk over and start talking to me just because it's got a nice. I mean, you see these two guys kicking the crap out of monsters and there's a giant title that says skull kickers. You know, you, you kind of know who your audience is.
0: Well, from a design perspective, too. It looks fantastic, especially with all the covers that you've been doing.
1: Yeah, I you know, I feel really strongly about um, branding and the graphic design of it. Not to get too technical, but you want to make an impression. You need to grab people's attention. And, uh, you know, we've had some phenomenal covers. And that sort of um, that cover motif we've done with the skull and with the nice, clear, Uh, You know, colors popping out with the title starkly at the top. It's part of the whole thing that if you're standing across a room and you look, that cover will jump out at you more often than not, you know, and that's, it's all part and parcel of the thing. You got to try and uh, use every, every tool in your arsenal. So. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. Um, I like the way that you're handling the story arcs in, in the, the, uh, the issues as well. Like they're, they're very clearly defined and the, the, even though they refer to what's happened in the past, they're still very well insulated in and of themselves so that it's, it's always the perfect starting point if anybody right. wants to start in on, on reading this.
1: Yeah, and they're only five-issue arcs, so you're not going to be ever really caught without, you know, in a way that you can't get caught up very easily, whether that's digital or whether that's back issues or what may have you. Uh, and it's really built around these five-issue arcs and then the sixth issue is always what we call tavern tales, which are short stories done by other creative teams as kind of a little bridge between arcs, just these goofy kind of uh disconnected short stories but each arc is also what what you might notice especially now that we've got two under our belt and we're midway through the third is um each arc has its own kind of concept you know the guys in their first one are in this ridiculous fantasy adventure with this necromancer in a tower and then the second one is built all around kind of the city with the thieves guild and with the the nobles and all that kind of stuff the third one's all built around pirates so it's like With each arc, I want to take our, you know, uh, mercenary morons and and push them into different fantasy settings and have them tear it up. So that's really the goal. Each time they go through and they bulldoze into whatever cliche kind of fantasy element that we've seen before, but not quite done this way, ideally.
0: And like, from what we've seen so far, it does look like you have a pretty good handle on an overarching theme as well overarching story kind of how far in advance are you outlining or have you outlined what's going to be happening
1: um I now know where we're going right to the end so up till about like midway through the second arc I had broad kind of vague ideas and I knew how the story would end but I sort of didn't have the middle defined and over the course of finishing the second arc and starting into the third one, I really nailed it all down. So uh, partially because, you know, Edwin, the artist on the, on the book is just, he's a phenomenal talent. And I know he's going to get scooped up by, you know, Marvel or DC (laughs) or someone. So I needed to sort of talk to him and negotiate with him and say, look, at some point, this is, you're going places, big places. And I need to, uh, Make sure that you know this is the big plan. So even if we slow down production at some point, that we're going to slowly but surely see this thing through to the end. And we agreed to it. So the broad plan right now looks like it's going to be six story arcs, which would then turn into six soft covers, which will then be the double ups that we do for our hardbacks. So we'd have a classic fantasy trilogy of of hardcover trades. So thirty six issues in total. Very
0: nice.
2: It's kind Fairly. of early. Yeah. Moving into the actual characters, uh, we've seen a lot of development to this point for Baldy. Right. And with his connection to nature, and even the current story arc, uh, Six Shooter on the Seven Seas, looks to be on track for, for- further revelations for him. I love dwarves. <laughs> when can we expect more for Shorty outside of stew-induced hallucinations?
1: Well, here's the thing. So so when you look at when you look at Shorty, when you look at the, the dwarf, he is such a vibrant personality and the violence and the, the cadence in his voice and the ridiculous stuff that he does. Most people love the dwarf because he's so bombastic and he's so over the top and he's so, you know, hair trigger kind of crazy. So he's kind of easy to get people to like. And what I knew was going to be tough was the quieter of the two or the more contemplative. That we needed, to, to, particularly, to give him depth sooner in order to make sure that he wasn't lost against the the intensity of the dwarf. And so, I have been leaning more heavily on uh, on Baldi. Particularly, this arc is almost entirely about uh, about our big guy, you know, because I want people to know he the 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 secret of the gun that we're going to be getting around to in the next two issues. Uh, is really at the heart of everything that we're going to be doing with Skull Kickers, and so I wanted to start kind of pulling, you know, like, like tipping my hand a bit and going, see, this is we do have a bigger plan, and this is what's at the heart of it. I, I'm confident that the dwarf is not going to be pushed out of the spotlight. He's way too loud and way too violent and way too ridiculous for that. But I wanted to make sure that we had a very strong focal point, particularly in this arc, on the big guy, and how something that we've had since the very start, which is this weird gun in the midst of a medieval fantasy world without any explanation that it all kind of, that that it becomes the spine of where we're going as well. So the dwarf does have more to be revealed, but his story is far more simplistic because he's, he is a very, I don't want to mean this in a negative way, but he's a very straightforward character. He is what he is on the surface almost entirely. Whereas the big guy is much more reserved. He has secrets he is, you know, not all that he may appear to be and so on and so forth. So it's something where the two of them contrast well together. They contrast in terms of personality, they contrast in terms of shape and size. Uh, hair or lack of hair—you know—all these, <laughs> all these different things about them make them easy to describe. Even the colors of their costumes: one of them is primarily in red and warm colors, and the other one is in blue. And you know, so it's like they, they're contrasting, yet they work together. You know, but the dwarf is so loud and so overwhelmingly in your face that I knew, you know, I've got a very good feel for the fact that he is quite loved, you know, like, uh, when I was at Emerald city comic con a few weeks ago, uh, we had a sketch variant cover that came out at the show and it was probably two to one in terms of the dwarf, you know, that I I have no fears at all that he's going to get, uh, you know, that, that he's not going to be important.
0: Anybody who would plug, a hole in his back with a squirrel <laughs> is aces in my book.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's weird, right? Cause when we're, when I'm, I'm brainstorming sort of, uh, action set pieces, that's a, every story arc is built around, you know, the setting. So in the case of the city, right? So we had Urbia, which was the, which was every fantasy kingdom kind of slammed together generically and ridiculous and the under city and stuff like that. And the whole point of Urbia, by the way, was built off of a, a pun that we never used in the book which is kind of ridiculous. So the capital of that province is Urbia. And there's a huge fight scene that takes place in the sewers, which would be. Suburbia. Suburbia. Yeah. Right. And then we wanted to say it without saying it. That was the ridiculous part. Although we found a way to do another pun. If you look at the recap in issue 13, where the little old lady basically says Urbian renewal, which is terrible joke. It's just awful. But anyways, the the whole thing is is that when I'm brainstorming these set pieces or I'm brainstorming the big action uh, breakouts that we're going to use for each arc, I you know it gets it starts broad. What is the big ridiculous action? You know what monsters are they going to be fighting? What's the setting? How can we ump the intensity or make it more ridiculous and more ridiculous? And I don't recall exactly how I had the idea about the dwarf just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And I thought, you know, this book is technically rated 12 plus. How can we have him just gushing blood? (laughs) And I thought, you know, we could do a lot off camera. We can do a lot off panel and really make this quite awful. And describing it in the script is always very bizarre. I think Edwin just his head must spin when he reads these scripts, because I've, I've said this before in other interviews. Writing comedy is is tough. And writing comedy to your artist where you have to innately describe why something is going to be funny must be the most unfunny thing ever. <laughs> because you've got to go through and say, okay, Edwin, here's what we want. He's going to stuff a squirrel in his back, but it's all <laughs> off-panel, so the reader can imagine it far more awful than anything we could possibly draw. So I need you to have this expression and this pacing and these types of panels. And it's so in-depth. like in depth. I, I can't even imagine. It must be just like reading about paint drying, And then when you see it come together, it all works because in my mind, I know this is why, you know, it's going to be funny or this is how it's going to appear on the page, but it's so weird writing funny in slow motion, if you will, you know, panel by panel.
0: And there's so much of it in every panel. This is one of the few comic books where anything that is said by a crowd member, (laughs) I actually take the time to read now because I know
1: callbacks too on those. There's there's
0: something somewhere and sure enough, almost every time there's something that'll get me it'll actually get a laugh out of me.
1: That's great, you know, and that's one of the best things I think. Dude, we the first couple issues where we had those crowd chatter, I would uh, I would describe to Marshall our letter. I would say make the dialogue balloons smaller and make them disconnected, so they don't go to any particular person. And then eventually, I just we have a terminology. I just say now crowd chatter, and I just write a bunch of crazy lines, and then he he puts them in there, and and they always do callbacks. There's one I think in every arc we've had someone say. Uh, you know only only druids can save us and then someone goes only farmers can save us and someone else is like only wizards can save us like it's there's all these there was one in the first arc where someone says um oh god my legs on fire yes. yeah and then later in the in the He goes, my legs on fire again. uh, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) poor guy. (laughs) Twice, like just it's and it's such a cheap joke. But I, you know, I sometimes catch myself laughing on dumb stuff I put in there. Or someone else is like, you know, can I go home now? Or just like dumb stuff like that. Uh, There's one thing where all these guards are chasing after the boys, and and someone says charge, and then someone else goes charge, and the next guy goes, we're charging, we're charging. Like it's just. Really dumb stuff that, that I don't even – yeah, we just throw it in there because it makes me laugh at a certain point, you know?
0: It's funny we- because more so than a lot of the other stuff, it, that crowd chatter – I shouldn't say more so. I, I see a lot of very dry humor in, in this, in the writing, and it's something – not to insult our american friends and other but it's a very canadian thing very british thing too like that very dry humor and i see so much of this that could easily be put into like a monty python setting at times and 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 it it would fit
1: yeah one of the things it's like if you're a peasant then your your iq is probably half of everyone else in the story i don't know why i do that but the peasants being complete morons makes me very happy. I just love when they question the obvious or when they say really stupid things. There's one part where there's all these guards and one of them says, Sir, I lost my spear, which is stupid. He's a guard. How can we lose it? And then the next guy goes, me too. And it's just like this really dumb, like how incompetent do you have to be? You know, and that's like, it's not even that funny, but it's gr- it just, you know, it works in the context of, you know our main characters are are not very intelligent, but compared to everyone else, they're you know, scholars. In these crowds, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the crowds that they're dealing with, they're freaking geniuses. So you can sort of see how they can stay one step ahead, even while you, as the reader, are like, my God, they're so dumb you know, like the, the, but it's issue-y. a sliding curve. Oh yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's a bell curve of intelligence in this, in this fantasy world. Uh, there's uh even the demons at the, in issue five, there's all these demons chattering in the background of yes. that, of, of the hell or whatever, you know, demonic realm. And they just sound like blithering idiots. And you're like, man, they're supposed to be like demonic powerful and they're all whiny and kind of jerks. And you're like, this is great. You know, I just have fun with it. Um, there's a scene in issue eight where the boys are trying to get themselves robbed. And that's probably one of yes. my favorite. Scenes where <laughs> they can't even get themselves robbed properly. They're wearing signs that say, rob me, you know, and what and, am uh, I going to do with all this
2: money? Yeah,
1: steal my stuff. You know, that's one of my favorite scenes. Cause I was sort of like, they need to find a thieves guild. How would they find a thieves guild? These guys aren't, you know, intelligent enough to properly even interrogate someone or to, to be subtle in the slightest. So I'm like, well, thieves, they need to get robbed. And so I just, it just kept amping up and amping up. And then the contrast of that scene with the guards discovering the hidden gun, the gun. under the bed.
2: Yes. That, that's one of my favorite parts. By far. Far. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I think
1: because up to that point, we had, I mean, we'd hinted at the fact that it was the only gun or that it was weird or it was out of place. But after that chapter, there's no doubt in your mind that really secures it in your mind no one knows what this thing is no one understands how it operates there's no subtlety anymore it's these guys you know the little golden hammer there was a thunderclap and then he died you know (laughs) that kind of stuff well how
0: far in advance did you actually plan the gun or was it just something that you tossed in thinking would be interesting that kind of has grown into a life of its own now
1: Well, uh, I'll be honest. I didn't come up with the original idea for the gun. So Chris Stevens, the guy who did the short stories for Pop Gun with me, the artist on that, he designed those characters. And I said, you know, what what are they going to use? And he said, I don't want to draw swords. Swords are too, you know, they're too pat. I'm like, okay, well, you know, give the dwarf a big battle axe. He goes, no, no, we'll give him little hatchets. And he's like, I don't know, the other guy will have like a knife and a gun or something or like, you know, six shooting pistols. I was like, whatever, man. It's just going to be a short story in this one anthology. You can give them whatever the hell you want. And then once we started doing the actual series, once the series started evolving, all of a sudden I realized I needed to justify this thing. Either it was going to be a world where there was kind of, you know, muskets and guns or steampunk or something, or, and then the, the idea kind of evolved from there. No, actually, I think it should be the only gun. Well, why? Why would it be the only gun? Where does this stupid thing come from, and how does that work? And then, of course, the natural question, so where do they get bullets, and why does this thing, and all those questions get answered in the next two issues, and I hope in a way that, I mean, it's the ultimate goal of any writer. You want to surprise the audience, but the minute that they read it, they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I just didn't expect it, you know? And I'm hoping we can pull that off with our... With our uh, with our big reveal.
0: Well, the thing too, is that part of what keeps the story going, the interest is that not knowing. So it's a very fine balance there. You don't want to spoil it. And then once it's, the cat's out of the bag. Well, then the cat's out of the bag. It's not a big yeah, deal Yeah. I mean, anymore.
1: Well, once we tip our, and, and we will be telling people, but the good thing is, is that the answers that it, sorry the, the answers that are, are are said also create a pile of other questions and put a lot of other pieces into play that I think people will find interesting. And I think it will get them to go back and look at the earlier issues. You know, you were saying how it's, it's a book that rewards you going through it more carefully, and that's going to become doubly so as we move through the arcs, because there's stuff that I've specifically asked Edwin to draw in the backgrounds of panels or into things that look completely innocuous and completely th- the nothing in, in the context of that issue or of that arc. But by the time we get to arc three and arc four, uh, all of a sudden they're going to take on greater meaning. And that's going to be a lot of fun to see if people really dig in on that stuff.
0: Cool. You were talking about Tavern Tales, and I'm wondering if that's something like, obviously you hadn't planned on this many story arcs, but now that you have, did you just kind of see how popular it was as a filler to give you guys a break between story arcs and you're going to keep rolling with it now, like you saw how popular it was?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was sort of, the original one was done out of a sort of selfish desire. I wanted to have six issues ship in six months. I wanted to prove to retailers that we could be on time with this book, and prove to myself that we could do it. But the arc was only five issues, so I was like, "Ah, that sixth issue—you know—I don't think uh, the creative team is going to be ready with the next arc. uh, I'll—you know—we'll try this out." you know um, and and so I got people that I felt were friends of mine and, and people that I respected and I loved the way that they, they wrote, you know, like Brian Clevinger who does Atomic Robo and I said, hey, would you do a short story And he just jumped in you know it was just fantastic to put these teams together and it did it went over really well people had a lot of fun the base concept of skull kickers beyond any complexity that we're adding to it with these new story arcs the base idea of these two mercenary monster hunting morons who kill things in unexpected ways and go on weird fantasy adventures it's, it's pretty easy sell to a writer just have fun with this go nuts come up with something fun you know and, uh, and and go wild. And that's been really satisfying to see other people take on the characters. And with this new Tavern Tales issue we're doing in 18, issue 18, uh, we've lined up just crazy creative teams, just amazing stuff. Um, I don't know if you heard about who's going to be in that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I read it in one of the back of the issues, I believe you had
1: written. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've got like the Chew team is going to be doing a short story. And we've got uh, the Luther Strode guys are going to be doing a short story. Uh, I don't think it's been announced, but you guys can have a bit of the the thing here. Uh, Blair Butler is writing one of the short stories that's going to be in uh, 18. And then we've got uh, Charles Soule's doing one. And then we've got this contest we've been running. Uh, it's running for about two more weeks where we're taking an open submission from a writer and an artist to, uh, to put them in the issue as well. So that's going to be eating my brain starting in may (laughs) we've already gotten probably like 150 submissions so i'm gonna have to go through all those and and uh rank them and figure out who's gonna who's gonna make their way into the issue it's really cool it's been very exciting
0: oh it's
2: exciting for any writer yeah oh yeah
1: that's
2: that's definitely something that's going to appeal to a lot of our listeners and uh, even some of our hosts (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) hosts yeah dude i would love to do that all the details are at slash uh, contest and all the details on how the contest works and what we want for the writers we just want an initial pitch just a concept of what a six page short story a skull kicker short story would would be uh, for the artists I've got a sample script up there just two pages uh, sort of of a, of a story that I wrote up just the first two pages of and because I, I want to see what the artists do with the script with the sequentials And, uh, yeah, kind of go to town with it.
2: What made you decide to actually open up that opportunity to the fans, though?
1: Um, I, here's the thing. So when I'm not at Udon and when I'm not at, uh, working on, on my own stuff, I teach at an art college here in Toronto called uh, Seneca college. I teach in their animation program. So I interact with students all the time, would be artists and want to be, you know, professionals and the passion that they have. And the, you know, they're constantly talking about how do I break into animation? How do I break into professional art? How do I get, make my mark? Where are their opportunities? How do I get an internship? These are the most common questions for someone who's a, an art student or a creative person. They want to know how to get legitimate, you know, exposure to their work, and uh, I, you know, I I would I go to conventions, and the the sheer number of people that come up and want to show me their independent comics or. You know, that they are putting their passion out there and their ideas. And I see it all the time and I review portfolios for the Udon Studio and I talk to people about their, their their work. And so, you know, I felt like we had this platform. And especially with the short story format where you're not asking someone to do 22 or 24 pages, you're just saying I need four or six pages it's a good way for people to to get their work seen to get the stuff out there i mean it it might be the only comic story they ever do or maybe it's the springboard to bigger and better things but either way i want people to have a chance to to do this could because if it was you know me starting over again it's not like i'm that deep into my career but if it was me starting over again it would be cool to have this opportunity and now that i'm on the you know slightly on the other side of the table the the fact that I could offer this and that Image trusts me that I'm w- not going to put crapola in the book that we're going to put something worthwhile in there you know I feel that that's I don't want to sound like I mean it's great I get a short story and and there was obviously a press angle on it but you know there is an altruistic angle in the sense of I want people to uh, to be able to get their work out there and to do something different. Pretty
2: cool stuff. Another oh, thing yeah. I like about what you're doing is uh reaching audiences in a different way. I've seen you uh started putting skull kickers up on Keenspot yeah, uh, a page every day, which
1: is yeah, cool. Page every day. Well, you know, and that and that it's weird because I feel very odd about it because I've had a lot of of creators and readers and people tell me how, wow, you got balls of steel. I can't believe you're keep putting it up online and it's like, like, you know, it's already all up online, right? Like, let's be (laughs) honest, it's like the big giant pink elephant in the room, you know, Uh, 30 seconds in Google and I'm sure you could find all of our issues on BitTorrent, you know? But but at the end of the day, whether or not I say that, that's not the point. The point is accessibility and about reaching new people. And when you've got a creator-owned property, you need to get readers. You need to let people know what you're doing. You know, there's so much content and there's so much content that people recognize. If they have a choice between Spider-Man and Wolverine and Batman and all these things that they know, what chance do I have unless I can impress upon them the quality of the material. And the only way I can do that is to get them to try it. And the only way I can do that is to give them the, the biggest outlet I can to do so you know there's something really simple and prophetic about the fact that every single thing that i've you know really enjoyed or discovered is come from someone recommending it to me so it's like a movie that i wouldn't have normally seen but someone says hey you got to check this out or a comic series or whatever may have you we're all looking for someone to recommend and to show us these undiscovered things well if i can lend tens of thousands of people my first few issues or my earlier issues my back issues just like i would have back in the days when i hand you a copy of my comic and you decide you like it i trust in the fact that that that's worth your ten dollars to buy our first trade less if you count amazon right that that if i if we can't hook you enough to buy a trade or to support us then we never had you you know what i mean and so I might as well put it out there and get people on board. And to be totally honest, it's working. I've gone to four conventions so far this year, and I've had people who – and not an insubstantial amount, like dozens of people have come over and said, oh, you guys are that webcomic. Oh, man, I'm reading this. This is so cool. And they, and they buy in, and they jump on board, and they talk to me, and they're enthusiastic.
0: Well, the thing, too, to keep in mind that a lot of people don't keep in mind is that at the root of it all, we're all pack rats. We're all collectors. So we want to own those comics. So when we see things online, I mean, you can look at the freaking Penny Arcades puts out the trades and PVP online and a lot of the other people, too. It's even though we've read them all, we're still going to buy that trade because we want it on our bookshelf. Sure. And so...
1: you know more people read penny arcade than justice league like and that's nothing against dc it's just that when you open it up access to everyone and it's high quality material then everyone reads it then everyone's on board and it's easy to mobilize that audience you know what i mean in a way that that uh, that the minute you charge anything for it you're shutting down the vast majority of people's ability to discover. That doesn't mean that you should never charge any money, and that doesn't mean that you can't monetize it. It's just in terms of people's entry point.
0: And again, you're just basically taking a different route as well. So you're not maybe necessarily selling as many of the comic books, say, each issue. But because you've opened it up and your site is getting so much more traffic and everything, then you can work on merchandising instead through the site. So the revenue stream will still come. It's just going a different route.
1: Right. And and the reality is you're sort of sidestepping. You know, the limitations that retailers have in terms of shelf space or in terms of promotion, where they've got to sell to understandably the audience that knows what they want every week, and what they want is superheroes. And you can sort of reverse engineer this. So if I have enough people discover us, get on board and then inadvertently bring it back to the shops, buy it through their stores, recommend it to their friends who are or print comic only fans or whatever, I think we still win. I think it all that there's, you're, you're going to get more people in the long run. It is a longer game and it is a bigger, I mean, there is risk obviously, but in this day and age, you know, the mainstream is online and, Uh, that's what we're trying to appeal to, you know, and that's what, what I feel I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think we, you know, if I didn't think we had the quality, I think that the book is fun, it's easily accessible and it's engaging to a really big potential audience. And so let's give them the chance to read it and agree or disagree.
0: What it all boils down to is I want a skull kicker ball cap. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man, I want With I want head all head
1: kinds of it. crazy in your stuff. Believe me, it's like it's kind of a it's been a weird feeling because I think we're at this this you know I, I mean I hope we're at a, a stage where we're about to really start getting uh, traction. You know, the website's only been up for it's been up for two and a half months, and we have served it up to over seventy thousand unique IPs, and we've served up one point four million page views in two and a half months, you know? So uh, it's working. We're building a, a big audience and it's going to, I think, you know, continue. Maybe not that explosive of an upswing, you know, every single month, but I think that in terms of the overall goal of outreach with the website, we are, uh, we're going to achieve our goal. So,
0: yeah. Now you were talking about Tavern Tales and the, the opportunity that that presents then to other readers or other writers and whatnot. Let's just, again, out of the realm of possibility, but let's just say if you had the chance to work on a story arc for any comic series and whatever canon you introduce actually gets put into the official canon... So think of it as a fantasy gig here where you can actually yeah. affect continuity for this story arc. What would you work on for what series?
1: See, it's weird, right? Because I've got all these mixed feelings about, you know, all the superhero stuff that I grew up on. So, of course, my, you know, my natural inclination is to is to nostalgic out and go, Ugh, I'd work on this superhero book or whatever. So I, it's like I want to kind of. Have my cake and eat it too. I'd love to do. Uh, I'd love to do an atomic robo short story. I I I, just, I really do think Brian and Scott are doing one of the best books out there, and uh, it would probably pale in comparison to the kooky stuff they do. But I would love to give it a shot. Uh, in terms of superhero stuff, I'm crazy about. I. It's funny. Even my fantasy roots always come through, right? I always loved Doctor Strange. Uh, I would love to do a Doctor Strange story at some point. It doesn't have to be epic, world-spanning kind of stuff either. I love some of the quiet stories they would do where uh, he would just, you know, it was more of a personal kind of a tale. I would have a lot of fun with that kind of stuff. I was a big Spider-Man guy. You know, that's never going to hurt being able to say, yeah, I, I would do something with Spider-Man. but um, I can those see are you're questions.
0: writing Spider-Man quite easily.
1: Well, I would love doing the quips, right? Because, you know, the wit and the and the, the verve that, that classic Spider-Man has when he's interacting. You know, sometimes... I see that, thankfully, in the new books. But there has been times where Spider-Man's felt like this angst-ridden, dark book, and it's like you know, it's got to come and go. You got to have contrast. And I love Spider-Man when he's at his, you know, uh, sort of underdog, witty best. Oh, I would have a lot
0: is nailing him right now. Oh yeah. Oh my God.
1: See, that's the (laughs) toughest part. Is it's like as much as I would say I'd love to do that, then I'm just going to be. Up against some of the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're like just not right now. Like when some crappy dude takes over, I'll I'll easily step in and. In well, contest, Hick- Hickman's
0: run on Fantastic Four is almost done. There you go. You could follow oh. that up.
1: Oh yeah, that that's a small great. pair
0: of <laughs> shoes to fill.
1: <laughs> yeah. No worries, right? I mean, honestly, a lot of these books are operating at an incredible level of quality. So I feel even sort of weird kind of wishing because it's like, I'm really happy with a lot of the superhero stuff that's coming out or, you know, the, especially with a lot of the characters that, I, that I'm, that uh, i you know, enthusiastic for. I think it's a fun time for books. I think it's a fun time for, for creative people all around
2: sticking with those regular old superhero comics, uh, take a few minutes just to talk about some of the other stuff we're reading, and Roger, I'm actually going to let you go first, because I think we have one big one in common this week.
0: Well, dude, I've actually been reading freaking Skull Kickers again all week. But well, yeah, the... aside from Skull Kickers. Okay, but actually, I actually I have a review written, and I just have to get the pictures formatted to put on there, but I, I don't know if you even saw it when you were... Oh, I did. You did? Okay, yeah, so then basically that's the same one you're talking about then? <laughs> well, the uh, i tested for number 605 um it's funny because we had just just been talking about the massive story arc that just ended and talking about well how in the hell is he going to follow that up because let's be honest like i mean how are you going to follow up that story arc and you were saying well he's just going to have some you know short little single issue things and i was thinking okay well just how good is that going to be and then this came out and it's end of line, which follows Reed and his father time traveling to see how the thing is aging because the thing is only aging once a year for a week when he's reverted to his human form, thanks to the um, the quote unquote antidote, the, the, the serum that was given to him by the future foundation kids. And so during that one week is the only time that he actually ages. And so, here we have um, Reed and his father bouncing through time, which I love the way he handled Hickman handled that too. Like all of the the various times are are very distinctive, and yet you can see a clear path of of what is happening, kind of thing, and and what would lead from you know, you know, two thousand to four thousand to six thousand, kind of thing, years later, and. And just like he did with the, the big event as well, it hits you just square in the chest. Like when you get to the end there and, and Reed is sitting down for a beer with the thing and it's like, seriously, like you're going like, oh my God. <laughs> 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 absolutely amazing issue one of those where if our readers still hadn't picked up the the big event that just happened because they thought ah oh, it's too big or whatever this you can own in and of itself don't have to worry about anything else and it stands on its own beautifully absolutely amazing issue
1: mm-hmm. very cool
0: uh, aside from that, I
2: also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Secret Avengers, which... Uh, I'm done? Unfortunately, still...
0: Oh, you sounded like you were done. I'm d- I am was done talking about that one. You said okay. it was my I... turn. My turn means that if I've read more than one, I could talk about <laughs> all of them. Can Fine. I talk at least about one other one? Just, just one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. <laughs> freaking awesome and again it's it's i like how they're making the changes to the continuity and yet still keeping the action going that you're used to with the, the the old series and stuff like that um the freaking action scenes oh my god freaking artwork is just amazing and again one of those where i know that this is a uh, I don't want to say a filler, but this is they need to give us a little bit more information in the background to let us know what's going on, why they're going after um, uh, the turtles and the rat and, and, and things like that. But it's done in such a way that the, it's still engaging, keeps you flipping the pages. Loved it. Great issue. Okay, now I'm done. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. (laughs) so Anyway, (laughs) back to Secret Avengers.
2: Uh, We just saw a couple issues ago, Rick Remender took over as writer, and I've been really interested to see what he's doing with that title. And this is a pure Rick Remender story. Just complete insanity, craziness going on, but much like we're seeing in Venom and X-Force, you see the plan. Uh, unfortunately, yes, Hawkeye is, is still involved <sighs> here, though they did an interesting thing, at least in this first story arc, of splitting up the team. So you get a lot of moments with um, Captain Britain and the original Human Torch is actually in That's not Johnny Storm. And so you get some, some of that cool stuff. But you see him bringing in elements from his other titles that he's writing now. Of course, Venom is one of the main characters in Secret Avengers right now. But we're seeing a lot of tie-ins to X-Force as well. Uh, you remember... The Deathlock Nation arc back in like issues five through eight, I think it was, we're actually seeing modern day versions of the Deathlocks with dead heroes like the Wasp and some other older heroes that are being reborn as Deathlocks like we saw from the future in that X-Force. And even the father, who was the, uh, the villain that Deadpool killed, that's the good thing about having time-traveling robots from the future. You know when you're going to die and you can prepare for it. So the father <laughs> is actually showing up in secret Avengers now building towards something that could be really amazing. Cool. And it just like, just, it's cool that this all comes together because Hickman and Remender are two of those writers that, you know, have that indie cred, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of the show where they, they, they put in their work, they, got hired by Marvel doing this, you know, these big important story arcs now, but they're also still doing their own stuff, uh, especially, you know, Hickman's been doing a lot of mini series for, I believe it's image. So it's cool to see how the, how the industry is really embracing this more indie side, even in the big two these days.
1: I think they're realizing that giving, you know, creators an outlet for their original ideas or stuff that doesn't fit with their superhero work is going to keep them inspired. It's going to keep them fresh. It's going to keep them engaged. You know, you, you you as much as you want to put them on a pile of titles, they've got other ideas that are going to squeeze out of that, you know, that superhero genre. And I think it's really smart to allow them the ability to do that rather than just sort of saying our way or the highway, you know?
2: Yeah, it, it's, it's something that's really interesting to me about the industry right now. So moving into uh, what else we're looking forward to, you know, the new releases on our radar for this week. Uh, For Marvel, we have a big anticipated one, Amazing Spider-Man 684, continuing Ends of the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> got Avengers number 25, Avengers versus X Men number 2, <laughs> Defenders number 5, Invincible Iron Man 515, New Mutants number 41, Punisher number 10, continuing the Omega effect that started over in Avenging Spider Man last week, Thunderbolts 173, Uncanny X Force number 24, Venom number 16, Wolverine and the X-Men number nine, one of our favorites. Yes. X-Factor number 234 and X-Men number 27, as well as finally the paperback edition of The Death of
0: Spider-Man. When's the Daredevil that's going to be part of that Omega coming out? Is that next week or... I'm going to assume next week, yeah. Because yeah. that that actually was fairly interesting. It was kind of off from the normal Avenging Spider-Man kind of thing, but I was still kind of digging it. I'm looking forward to seeing where they're going with it. Yeah, and um,
2: It Was it Kumakoli? Yeah whoever uh, no chichetto his art was ridiculous in that issue uh from dc we're looking at batman number eight hellblazer 290 as well as justice league and wonder woman number eight and then just to round out the list we were looking at irredeemable number 36 from boom transformers more than meets the eye number four from idw and walking dead number 96 for it from image
0: that's still better pick up i'm serious better <laughs> freaking pick up now, it's, Jim, it's is turning maybe... into season two of The Walking Dead TV <laughs> is what it is.
2: So, Jim, is there maybe anything that's off our radar that uh, you're looking at right now?
1: Um, just uh, stuff that's coming out this week. Uh, I know Manhattan Projects number two is coming out, and that's Hickman's uh, new miniseries at Image. Uh, did you guys read Manhattan Projects, number one?
2: No, actually, I, didn't I, ca- didn't. I read Secret, but I didn't catch Manhattan Project.
1: Uh, Manhattan Project's kind of neat. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm engaged enough to I'm gonna follow it and see where it goes. It's a cool little concept. So it's sort of, you know, the Manhattan Project, of course, is when they developed the atomic bomb mm-hmm. uh, during World War II. Well, this idea being that this laboratory had a heck of a lot more than just the atomic bomb stuff going on. There's all kinds of weird super science happening. And there's a there's a scientist who's been brought into the fold and he has a I don't want to give away too much a secret of his own that uh, he's he's uh, got his own machinations. And it should be interesting to see how that all plays out. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, I think the new Rocketeer Adventures is coming out this week, which if you guys haven't been reading. Not this week soon. Yeah, it's quite fantastic. Quite, quite fantastic. Oh, the shadow is coming out this week. From Dynamite. Oh, yeah, 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 uh-huh. That oh, one's yeah. going to be it, – it, that one looks exciting.
2: See, it's always interesting to get that different point of view every once in a while. So uh, aside from Skull Kickers, uh, from you we have uh, the trade for Makeshift Miracle coming out soon, correct?
1: Yeah. The, it's premiering at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival first weekend in May up here in Toronto. And then two weeks later it will be in stores, and it's a uh, beautiful uh, oh. hardbound – color
0: absolutely gorgeous
1: yeah i i i almost feel guilty how beautiful the book is it's like <laughs> i write express...
0: <laughs> I,
1: i'm working on book two right now so it's a two the the main storyline that i'm writing is gonna be two books and uh you know, as book one was wrapping up, it's like I got more and more ambitious with some of the scenes I was writing in book two because I just want to see Shun painted. <laughs> I feel almost <laughs> guilty. I would send this to the editor at Udon and I was like, yeah, I know this chapter's crazy, but dude, it's going to be awesome. Look at it. so good. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, the book's just jaw droppingly gorgeous. And it's, it's totally different kind of pacing, totally different feel than the writing I'm doing for Skull Kickers. It's nice to have that contrast between the two.
0: You would Um, not think it's the same writer, which is fantastic. I I love that.
1: Thank you. I, you know, it's weird because it's like channeling different – this is going to sound corny, but whatever – like different times of my life. So it's like Skull Kickers is I'm 11 years old and I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons with my brother and, you know, hopped up on sugar and and running around the living room like I'm killing skeletons. And, and Makeshift Miracle is like I'm an awkward teenager and I'm just getting into manga and I'm reading lots of Neil Gaiman Sandman and I'm very introspective and unsure of – where I'm going with my life. And so they really are like different doorways to sort of my mindset at different points of my life and, and getting myself into a mode for either one before I pound out the script. Uh, But it it speaks
0: to the strength of your writing that you're able to do both different styles so very well. So thank you. No, that's
1: yeah. And I, and it's fun too, because I've got a couple other things in the hopper that I'm developing right now that haven't been announced. And, uh, and I'm hoping that, again, you know, we're going to strike different chords and do different stuff than people expect from me. So that, you know, that that's kind of exciting to, you know, I owe so much to Skull Kickers because it's given, you know, people, it's let people know that I can do a story or that I can write. And now having the flexibility to try some different things and know that there's a certain percentage of people who will at least try it because my name's on the cover. I think, that's you know all that I could ask for is uh, hey this is gonna be something really different but you know you might surprise yourself that you like this too that I've got sort of a broader base of of stories to draw upon.
2: That's not a bad place to be. So thank you so much for joining us, Jim. This was a great interview. Uh, really, really happy that we got to talk about so much cool stuff t-
1: today. No problem. Can I plug some websites? Knock yourself. Go up. for it. Sure. So uh, easiest way to, to get a hold of me is I'm, I'm pretty um, prolific on Twitter. Uh, so just Jim Zub on Twitter, J-I-M. Uh, well, I guess it's American would be Z-U-B, but in Canada, Z-U-B. <laughs> no Zeds. Yeah, yeah. J-I-M. <laughs> ZUV on Twitter. Um, my website is, uh, is, you know, I've got skullkickers.com, which is our sort of main website for all the news about skull kickers and ordering info and stuff like that, including that fancy hardback that you uh, are looking for. Yep. And um, makeshiftmiracle.com, all one word, is where we're serializing uh, that uh, graphic novel chapter by chapter. Um, as well. And then I've got my own website. If you just go to Zubkovich.com, I've got my blog there where I chatter about things I'm, I'm up to. And then I'm on DeviantArt under Zubby. I'm all over the place. If you search for my name in Google, it's, it's, a, it's a, too much stuff. It's crazy.
0: Well, I'm going to get you to email me all of those links as well. Anything that yeah. you'd want. And then what I'll do is I'll make sure that they're all in the show notes for people to get to.
1: I really appreciate it.
0: No problem.
2: All right, so that's going to wrap us up here at issue 64. Uh, in addition to all of Jim's wonderful websites, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com <laughs> or, or on Twitter at CB Informer. Once again, thank you, Jim, and we'll see everybody next week.
1: Absolute pleasure. Hello. Good God.
0: <laughs> There's a word for this it starts with cluster. Okay. Ha ha. If you need an ego boost, though, your interview with us meant so much that I think I might have corrupted my boot camp partition. So that's how much it meant. How so, did you do that? Well, I was, like I said, we, we'd called it. We'd waited around. And so we thought, okay, well, he's busy, obviously. No big deal. So we called it. So then I decided that I was going to bounce into my boot partition because I have a, an iMac and, uh, and play some Star Wars with my son. Uh, and so uh, I logged in. And, of course, I hadn't logged in for a couple of days. So there was some updates and this and that. And then when I went to switch back over to the Mac side so that we could do the interview, because everything I use for recording is on the Mac side, well, the freaking shutdown was taking forever and a day. And I'm thinking, son of a bitch! So I waited a few minutes and finally said, "Screw it!" So I just hard booted it while I was doing the install. So I'm oh going, no! Something might very well be corrupted in there. We'll see you later. <laughs> that's how much you mean oh, that's to us.
1: Great. Ah, oh, jeez.
0: So it, it, I'm not trying to guilt you or anything like that. <laughs> Although that comes naturally. When you're a parent there, you can weave in guilt into everything.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. I listened Howdy. to last week's, actually, just awesome. so I had a sense of, of how it was going. So.
2: I'm just how crazy it can get. Maybe that's why he decided yeah, not really. to log out. <laughs> nice. Nice. <No.
0: laughs>